Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, this is episode 80 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We made it all the way to the big 8-0, and we've got a really amazing show for you guys to kick off the 80th episode. But before we get into all that, I'll welcome my co-host to the show, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-O? Hey, Tucker. Thank you. Welcome back to the show. We are at 80, man. What are we going to do on the 100th episode? Maybe that'll be the one, or maybe we'll have a special guest, but one of these we'll have to do kind of, you know, the outtakes <laughs> from all the past, or maybe the greatest hits, bring in and have Dan put together a clip of some of the greatest moments. And I, I like the outtake we'll, idea. Maybe the best outtakes <laughs> for the 100th episode. People might dig that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Well, I'm super excited about our show today. We have a really special guest, one that just about every one of our listeners can relate to, even if they don't know the guest, they are very familiar with the entity that he works with and leads. So without further ado, we've got Kurt Von Wasmuth with RMLS. Kurt, you are the CEO, president, king. <laughs> <laughs> not, not king, but yeah, I'm the president and CEO <laughs> of the Regional Multiple Listing Service. Yes. Cool. Well, it's a very, very important service. You can't be a licensed real estate agent of any noteworthy ability without access to RMLS in our market. So let's go right into it, Kurt. I've got some questions for you here, and, and I think it's going to be a great show, and we're going to cover a lot of different topics. First, tell us about yourself. Tell us your background, what you do there at RMLS, and how long you've been there. I started in 1998, which means, I mean, it's kind of surprising to me, but I've been here for 20 years now. I started, literally answered an ad in the newspaper for a help desk technician. I started answering phone calls at the help desk. In 1998, if you think back, I was basically getting paid to help people replace the book. We were getting rid of the book and people were being dragged, kicking and screaming into the computer age. And so I spent a lot of time on the phones teaching people how to print out the information and, and, and keep their own book. And, you know, I like to say I just sort of fell up the corporate ladder at that point. I went from, <laughs> <laughs> I went from, I like that. I never heard that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I inadvertently got promoted over and over and over again. I, 
got put in charge of the training department, then in charge of communications and eventually senior vice president when our CEO got sick and she had to step down and they offered me the position in 2010. So Wow. This wasn't in my questions, um, but when did RMLS begin and what was it before then? So RMLS was incorporated in 1990, but started offering services in 1991. And prior to RMLS, there was a company called OMLS, the Oregon Multiple Listing Service. And one of the things that any RMLS staff member will tell you here is that we know that we were born out of fire brimstone, pitchforks and torches. I mean, it was, it literally was the agents revolted in this area. They did not like the way things were going. They didn't like the future direction. They didn't like the services they were given. They wanted more technology and they basically banded together with their associations and formed the regional multiple listing service. And I wasn't around back then, but I hear tell that six months later, the Oregon multiple listing service was gone and RMLS was up and running. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, this is not just a Portland and Southwest Washington. I actually, believe it or not, I don't do this often, but there was extenuating circumstances on why I did it. I'm listing a property in Eugene. And the long and short story is it's a mom of a client. They were selling two houses, buying another as a multi-generational, you know, moving in together. And we analyzed it multiple ways. And I said, you know what? And, and one of the biggest reasons I did it, Kurt, was because RMLS works there. And I was like, well, gosh, we've got the MLS. I can send a couple guys down there with some stuff a couple times. And so you guys are big in Eugene. I mean, you're you are the biggest MLS in, in the state. You're not the only one. I know Salem and Bend for sure have some strong MLSs. Are you yeah. guys getting pretty good traction in those? Is that your goal eventually? So, yeah, the board of directors at RMLS decided years ago, I, uh, gee whiz, I think it was around 1999 that they decided we should attempt to become a statewide multiple listing service. And honestly, I believe a statewide multiple listing service makes a lot of sense. And so I think it was around 1999, I went down to Coos Bay. Coos Bay had five MLSs serving them at the time. I mean, we had this, this state had a lot of dysfunction when it came to our multiple listing services. And luckily, we've had a lot of a really good reception and a lot of steady growth throughout the organization where we now have spread where we serve all the way down to the California border, if you follow I-5. And then if you take 84, we go all the way out to the Idaho border. But yeah, we are not a statewide multiple listing service yet. We're as close as you can get and not be one. It's well over 80% of the realtors in the state belong to RMLS. But Bend has a multiple listing service. Salem has a multiple listing service. There's one in Medford. And there's a, a couple small ones out on the coast where we have, again, more than 80% of their subscribers belong to RMLS as well. But they they hang on and they keep providing. Yeah. Do you see yourself getting traction in those ones? Like, I mean, is RMLS getting because I know you, you guys are in Salem and you are in Bend. Do you see like year over year that there's a there's spreading of your listings being onto the RMLS? And does it look like at some point that could tip? 
in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. So you kind of have to take each one of those individually. No, I don't see any growth happening in Bend. There's a large geographic boundary there. And Bend has serves their own county very well. They have their own association of realtors and they own their own multiple listing service. There is some growth happening in the Salem area. And that's going to take a long time, though, because, you know, the Salem multiple listing service, Willamette Valley multiple listing service is not a realtor owned multiple listing service, which means that you don't have to be a realtor in order to belong to that multiple listing service, which means that when it comes to us selling that area, it's that's an extra added, you know, sort of hump that we have to get over where it's like you don't actually qualify to become an RMLS subscriber unless you join the association. And so it gets a little bit more difficult. Interesting. Cool. Well, uh, let's go on to some of the questions we've got here for you, Kurt. Remind our listeners who owns RMLS and makes day-to-day decisions, goals, objectives. How are they made over there? And well, let's start with that. I mean, who owns RMLS? I mean, part of it is, you know, this is an association-owned entity. How exactly does that work? Who do you report to? So our major shareholder is the Portland Metropolitan Association of Realtors. They are 60% shareholders in the organization. We then have two minor shareholders, the East Metro Association of Realtors, which is EMAR. And then up in Washington, we have the Clark County Association of Realtors. They both own 20%. So you've got 20% owner, 20% owner, and 60% owner in RMLS. And PMAR appoints nine directors to our board of directors. And then EMAR and CCAR both respectively get three directors that they appoint. And that's the ownership structure. Now, we don't pay dividends. There is no financial benefit to being a shareholder in RMLS. The debt that was paid to start up this corporation was repaid years and years and years ago. So we support the associations through sponsorships and through events and door prizes and gifts and contributions and that sort of thing. But as far as ownership goes, it's really just who do you place on the board of directors. One of the things that makes RMLS cool is that we have two seats on the board of directors who are non-shareholders. So we have this thing called the Service Advisory Committee. So we serve 19 associations and three of them are our shareholders. So the other associations get together and they meet once a month and they talk about what's annoying them, what we're doing right, where we're firing on all cylinders, and they get to appoint two people to the board of directors as well. So all in all, we have 17 seats on the board of directors, two of which are from our non-shareholders. Sounds like government. (laughs) It's got to be difficult to get through those meetings and uh, listen to everybody's opinions. It's kind of what that sounds like. It it can be. It certainly can be. And and as far as a multiple listing service goes, like as a concept, that is the hardest part because you've got sort of a push me pull you, where there are some entities and some brokers that want things, others that want other things, and everyone's pulling you in a different direction. That's we've been really lucky though. I mean, really lucky in that PMAR and all of our shareholders have done an excellent job appointing directors who understand that this is a corporation. We need to make corporate decisions and it can't always come down to politics. Sometimes it has to come down to what's good for RMLS. That board of directors is who appoints you as the president and CEO. Is that that's how that works? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So they did a large serve, you know, a nationwide survey mm-hmm. of who was available 
And then one day just walked into my office and said, we'd like to offer you the position. Cool. Cool. And they've been busy lately. They've got, they've been making some changes. We're going to get into some of those changes. Yeah. Um, how often do they meet, Kurt? Is there a regular? Yeah. M- monthly. Monthly. Uh, I mean, basically monthly. There are some months we don't need to meet and like we don't ever really meet in the month of January because our leadership retreat is usually in February. But for the most part throughout the year, we meet monthly. And is it here in Portland at your offices? Is it somewhere offsite? Yep. Right on the other yeah. side of that door there. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And then my other question for you is what percentage of RMLS is simply the website and what percentage is other services, tools and you know value that you offer your agents outside of the website? So, you know, there's a number of different ways to skin that cat. But if you look sure. at if you look at finances, about for every dollar that a subscriber spends, about 25 cents, which is exactly 25%, goes into making the website, RMLS Web, the one that we use every day. But then you've got another quarter goes into what we call RMLS Web System Support. So that's help desk, that's the training department, you know, that's all the stuff that gets wrapped into that in order for us to effectively offer that service. So you've got about half of every dollar goes to RMLS web and then system support. Then everything else is rolled into things like facilities. You know, you've got the lockbox system we have to maintain. You've got business support. We've got reserves that we have to maintain. And that's where the rest of that money goes. Yeah. The lockbox is another big component of what you guys do. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. The system that allows everybody to get into the, into the homes. Yeah. yeah. And another question for you on that. How do you define success for RMLS? So that's actually a question that's key to the survival of RMLS. And for years, we struggled. We it just I, I don't know that we struggled like any more than any other multiple listing service or, in fact, any other company out there. You get a ton of companies who spend a lot on consultants who where you come up with a mission and a vision and a statement. And, you know, you spend a lot of time sort of hashing out what is it that you do and what is it that you want to be. And you end up with these long winded mission statements Really, when it comes down to it, RMLS exists to make real estate transactions easier. That's what we do. Every single day, we try and make real estate transactions as easy as possible. And in order for us to be a success internally, RMLS staff is always asking themselves, are we making ourselves indispensable to subscribers? Like we want to get to the point where we can't, you can't do it without us. Now, you started the podcast and said you technically can't do it without us now, but that's not the same thing as driving every single decision with, can we make this a little bit better? Could we make it so that they need us a little bit more? And that's really what it comes down to. We find success every single day in the ability to speak to both of those. Are we making real estate transactions easier? And are we making ourselves indispensable to those people that pay us? Hey, I got a spin-off yeah. question yeah. here. I'll throw a curveball at you here a little bit. It's not a super brain buster, but you guys are the biggest in the state, obviously. Yeah. By virtue of that, you have, you know, the most continuity revenue, we'll call it, from all the realtors that utilize your services. Yeah. Which then allows you to better serve them, right? Because as we just went through, you kind of break up, okay, where does the money go? What does it do for them? And and ultimately, you try and make it as a, a service that's indispensable for them. Right. When you're talking about these smaller RMLSs that you guys kind of butt up against or even operate in side by side in these smaller markets... Is there really a future for them? Because it would seem that, you know, it's cyclical with the market, right? With how many realtors are paying them dues. And as the market goes back down, like 
I mean, do you feel deep down that some of these will eventually go away or is that not politically popular to say or is it is it always going to be a challenge for them to continue and improve their services when they have a small base they're pulling from anyway? You're right on many counts. One, it's not it, politically it's not popular for me to say it, but I've said it on a national platform for many years. And that is there are way too many multiple listing services in this country. There's just way too many. Just a few years ago, there was 775 and we're down below 700 now. We're at 690 something. I think I saw 680 the other day. Even so, like in Oregon, we're, we're sort of insulated from the fact that we really have one large regional. Everybody knows it. And then there are some small pockets of activity. But you get into areas like Florida where there's still 22, 23 MLSs in one state and they're all relatively good sized. There's way too many MLSs. And to be perfectly honest, yeah, I think that the small ones, in some cases, it's going to take a generational change. In some cases, it will take a market change. But we won't be seeing the this level of MLSs for long. There are going to be some that are forced into closing their doors. And there will be some that just simply see the writing on the wall and say, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of efficiency to be gained from us joining a larger regional multiple listing service. Having said that, you've got MLSs like Bend who are doing a really good job and they're making money hand over fist and you know there's nothing forcing them into the hot seat right now someday someday yeah when that does happen you, clearly you've seen it happen uh, around the state at, at various times where where basically they throw their hands up and say okay you be our MLS let's do this is that a decision that's spurred on by the agents mostly or by the leadership of the the current existing MLS? Is part of it that people trying to protect jobs? I mean, you know, is the leadership of the MLS, or they don't want to find themselves without a job? Or do you usually embrace those people and bring them into the fold when that happens? Oh, no, we always try and keep as much staff as we possibly can. There's always some overlap. You know, there's redundancies in accounting departments and, and stuff like that. And you really don't get any efficiency if you keep everyone on. But we always try and we always try and roll in customer service staff or anyone that people are really hanging on to. The thing that's interesting is that when it comes to MLSs joining other MLSs, it's usually traditionally not the CEO or staff that's trying to hang on to jobs. Although certainly they are, and God love them, they'd be fools not to. But really what it comes down to is local control. People like having their own you know, MLS committee. They like being the ones that are sent to the NAR conferences. They like being the ones that are sent you know, to the state association. And they like that local control. They like the ability that they are. And again, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble, but it's easier to be a big fish in a small pond than it is a small fish in a big pond. And yeah. that's what you end no. up even the large objection. Yeah, no, 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 that makes perfect sense. I can see that with Bend especially. I've been spending a lot of time there with our, our new um, PPG branch office and they are all about Bend. And, you know, we're, we're kind of the big city folks over here and they don't, there's definitely an island over there that they like to identify with and, and not just be, you know, the stepchild of the big city. Oh yeah, they don't want those big city boys coming in telling them how to do it. That's yeah. Oh, and then telling them, come to our meetings in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, and we've kind of touched on this, but I want to ask it just point blank. So RMLS, profit, we talked about how you define success. And, and part of the reason I asked that is because how you guys view profitability and what happens when there's profitability is a little bit different than other companies and entities. So 
is RMLS a for-profit entity? And if there is a profit or a loss, what happens with it? So I will state unequivocally, RMLS is a for-profit corporation, and we do not apologize for making profit. On the other hand, we are owned by three non-profit organizations, and that decision-making process, I mean, it certainly has some input into it. So for instance, we did make a profit last year. It was not a lot. We were profitable. The board of directors demands that I keep this company profitable every single year, which is good. It's a good goal to have. But the profit that we made last year primarily centered around we need to save money on the off chance that we do something like a lockbox conversion, right? So when RMLS makes a profit, it's always rolled into products and services that we can provide to our subscribers. So we have never done a lockbox conversion in this company where we don't provide a one-for-one -one conversion. And so... That's one example of the way that profit gets spent. We also, I mean, you have to figure we build our own multiple listing system. And so we have to be able to respond in case a server goes down or in case there's a new upgrade or there's an opportunity for us. We have to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Gotcha. How is RMLS different than other MLSs around the country? You talked a lot about how there's so many of them. Surely you've been at events where you rub shoulders with the, the leaders of the others. What do you see different for better or for worse? First of all, if you got every single multiple listing service together in the room, you would find 678 different approaches. Like each one of them is different in, in a myriad of different ways. But, you know, this is one of those things where they say you should eat your own dog food. I'm a huge fan of RMLS. I think that RMLS is doing things exactly the way that they should. And that doesn't mean that we're always right. And it doesn't mean that we're always the best, but we're doing it in exactly the way that we should. And I think one of the ways that we are unique is that RMLS, like I mentioned earlier, builds its own system. We're maybe five MLSs in the country build their own system. And maybe less than that, in fact. It might be that is three. amazing. That, that is a huge uniqueness. It, yeah. it really is. And it, it's an interesting perspective when you go to these conferences and you realize that 99% of your peers are simply renting a system from another company and you see the struggles that they have. You know, they come up with a new field and the vendor tells them no. Or they come up with a series of options inside a field and the vendor says, you know, you're the only one who's asking for that. We'll wait for other people to ask for you. Or they, you know, they come up with new functionality or new ideas and they just can't get it. They've got a vendor telling them no. And they've got a vendor telling them, hey, guess what? Your prices just went up 25%. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, and that's the RMLS board of directors has never, ever sort of taken that for granted. It's probably not less expensive to build your own system. We probably spend about the same money as if we rented it. But the board of directors will not consider turning over their control to a vendor. And that's why you've got things like RMLS was the first MLS in the country to provide accessibility as a field inside the multiple listing service. We were the first to provide green information inside the system because when our committees, like our forms committee, comes up with a new idea and they say, listen, this is something that realtors in this area need. It's a lot easier to turn to staff whom you pay a salary to and say, get this done than it is to turn to a vendor and say, gee, will you do this for us? No? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we'll wait till you're ready. Energy score is another great example. I mean, RMLS didn't decide to have an energy score. Portland no. decided. What would have happened if you guys had a rented MLS 
and Portland did that, and you go to the the vendor, and you're like, hey, we got to put an energy score, and they're like, yeah, no, no one else is asking for that. We're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's a perfect yeah. example. Yeah. Or yeah. or the work that we worked with with them, you know, like we're able to do things like when you if this thing ever gets up and off the ground, you enter in an address, and we can auto populate your score if it's been recorded before. Like those are the type of things we can do. A vendor's not interested in that. That's not what they're going to do. Yeah. That's a big thing. I, I, I'm glad you asked that question, Steve, because that's a big thing for sure. And I think that goes back to the question that I asked earlier about, you know, are these smaller ones going to be around forever? And it seems like that, you know, those are they're almost placeholder businesses in a lot of ways. Not all of them, of course. It sounds like Ben has a very strong hold and a lot of, you know, Ben pride, we'll call it right. But there's got to be a lot of other ones that, you know, they don't have those strongholds. And when you're basically renting, you know, a CRM, for lack of a better term, you know, to then run an entire hundreds and thousands of people's businesses off of, essentially, it could become problematic at some point. So that's really interesting that you guys are only one of a few that have your own system. It kind of blows my mind, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, we're super proud of it. I mean, you you ask any staff member here, we love it because it, there used to be a lot more of us and one by one by one, it became less and less sort of appealing for an MLS to build its own system because even though it gives you a ton of control, you really have to be able to take, you got to take your licks. And so like, and that's why I say we're not always perfect. Like we come out with things slower than we should. We should be faster. We don't always hit the mark when we release it, although we do way better more often than we do worse. And you got to be able to take your licks. And a lot of people can't. The other day I was on RMLS. This was probably... Thursday. I was getting ready for a listing appointment. All of a sudden it went down. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and I was actually a little bit late for the appointment. I mean, I was right on time until it went down. <laughs> and, <I'm pulling> <laughs> <laughs> and I called RMLS. They didn't even answer the phone. What's the longest you guys have ever been down? It wasn't, by the way, this, this has a happy ending. You guys were up within six, seven minutes. I think maybe it was, right. eh, it might've been longer. It might've been 10, 15, but it, you were up yeah. pretty quick. I think total downtime that day was 20 minutes. And okay. that was the power went out in the downtown region and it took out our colo which is the first time that's ever happened. We have a colo with Intel and you know Nike and a bunch of other companies where we all co-locate in the Piddock building and power went out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, it's, it has redundancy power and that redundancy was supposed to kick on, the backup generator was supposed to kick on, it didn't. So it took, it's one of those things where it took a human being to actually go down there and, and reboot that redundancy server. And it's like, come on, you know, that was just a simple mistake. And, you know, they've fallen all over themselves apologizing, but I, I take solace in the fact that it wasn't us. There was a, there was a yeah. lot of, a lot of companies that got hurt that day. Is that the longest you've ever been down or, or does that happen? I mean, obviously you guys have your scheduled maintenance stuff, but yeah, we had, I think it was last year or the year before we set a record with 99.8% uptime. We are very much into what Greg, our VP of technology calls tracking the nines to see just how many nines we can string together in a row. But to be fair, that is one of the primary focuses of RMLS web. It has to be up and it has to be up all the time. Yeah. And it's not going to be, there are things that just exactly like you just demonstrated, there are things that happen, but the important thing is we come back quickly. Yeah, you did. You did. I wasn't too late to my listing appointment. I still got it. <laughs> good, good, good. Still got the listing. Hey, so we touched on this, but I'll ask it again. Improvements and changes. I, I know it happens through the board, but let's talk about the process. I mean, say how are improvements to the site identified and what's the process in getting it in front of the board so that, and then how does the board decide? Is it a vote? Is it a pure vote? Is it, you know, 
yeah. talked about multiple times. So we actually, we were featured in a nationwide conference recently because of the way that we do this. And it's a little bit convoluted, and I, I hope that I can do this in a, in a concise method. But all year long, we take all the feedback that we get from the help desk or training classes or, I mean, even this podcast, anything. You pick up the phone and you call someone, we collect all that information. That gets funneled into monthly meetings that are called enhancement request meetings. And a lot of those turn out to be training issues. Sometimes they're not really an enhancement request. They're a bug. <laughs> the site's broken. That's happening less and less these days, thank goodness. But we filter out to just the requests on a monthly basis. And all of those get put together once a year into this thing that we call voting boards. Now, the voting boards are shared in the subscriber satisfaction survey at the end of the year. We also give them to our service advisory committee, which I spoke about. Those are the non-shareholders. And they're also given to our technology committee. And we gather as much input onto those voting boards as we can. And it all culminates in the leadership retreat meeting in February where the directors are each given five stickers and they literally walk around a room and they distribute the stickers as they see the importance of each of those voting boards. So you might have a phone call that comes in in July that says, you know what would be cool? It'd be cool if we changed the CMA module to do this. And that ends up being one of the bullet points on the voting board when we clump them all together. And when I say clumping, it's actually really difficult to explain that process because, as you can imagine, each enhancement request requires us to go in and make changes to the database. So we try and clump them in ways that make sense. Like if you're going to open up the hood and look at the listing load module, you might as well take all of the listing load enhancements at that point and clump them together. So we take a lot of time to make sure that we're doing it as efficiently as possible, as opposed to, you know, it's like working on your car. If you're going to do one thing, you might as well, you know, if you're going to change the oil, you might as well go ahead and fill up the window washer fluid. Like you mm -hmm. try and make as good a use as your time as you can. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And I know you, masters in real estate, you guys, you're pretty visible on there, Kurt. Whenever there's yeah. an RMLS question, I see you hop on there and answer it. Sure. And then I, I know Joe from time to time, will he'll put up a thread where he'll say, hey, RMLS is paying attention. What do you guys want out there? And there was a right. great one. Gosh, maybe four or five months ago, and and I not only did was there great input from from the agents, but you guys were commenting on it. And one of the suggestions I made, you, you guys said we're working on that, and we're actually going to talk about that here in a minute. It's one I'm excited for. Let's go into probably the biggest change coming our way, and a, a, a very substantial one. It's the coming soon, right? So. Yeah. It's created a lot of buzz. It's really going to change the processes for a lot of agents. So under the new coming soon, from what I understand, we as agents will be able to put in the MLS a future listing that's not live yet, along with you know some pictures, information about it, only so agents can see it. The public will not be able to see it. And then here's the other thing. We're then told we cannot go out to the public with that listing anymore. The only people that, uh, that can be aware of it are the other agents. I think a sign is allowed in front yes. of the house. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about this. First of all, I mean, you know, when is it rolling out and what was some of the thought process behind it and, and what's your guys' goals and intentions here? So 
I always start the explanation by saying that if anyone's heard me talk about this before, for years and years and years on a nationwide scale, I was against coming soons. I thought that it was a phenomenon that wasn't legitimate. For years, I told people, if you have a listing that's coming soon, you probably should advertise that to buyers that are coming soon. And I don't know where buyers that are coming soon are located. But as is the case with almost everything, our subscribers started to teach me the way the world really works. And keep in mind, I'm not a practicing real estate agent and never have been. No one on staff is a practicing real estate agent. And I don't think we have anyone on. Uh, we do have a couple on staff who used to be agents, but they're not practicing anymore. So we rely very heavily on our subscribers to tell us, what is the job? Like, what do you do? Like, what does the market look like? And slowly over time, I changed my mind from the fact that the coming soons were not entirely an illegitimate business practice. It turns out that the consumer demands it. It's something that the consumer wants. And it, I'm not sure where they learned it, but they seem to have learned it. And once people started to tell me that, I realized that it is very clearly inside the scope of a multiple listing service for this company to try and get you that information as much as possible. So when you're out there servicing your buyers, and someone says, well, what about that coming soon listing? Right now, you don't know anything about it. The best you can do is call the multiple listing service and, and ask us if, in fact, an authorization to exclude form has been signed. Basically, what you're saying is, does the seller know that this, this is going on? But that's all you know about it. And it occurred to me that you need, like the RMLS subscribers need to know more than that. A better answer is, oh, well, that one has five bedrooms, two and a half baths, and it'll be on the market in about a week. That's the type of information that you should be getting out of the multiple listing service. The problem that you run into is that there are a number, and I don't want to say a lot, but there are a number of people who use the coming soon status to their benefit. In other words, they take a listing, they put it on the market coming soon with the intent of keeping it from their, you know, their counterparts, the people that they cooperate with in the multiple listing service in an attempt to double dip it. They're going to get both the buyer's side and the seller's side of that transaction. Or just pick up a new buyer. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. 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 There are a number of different, what I would consider illegitimate approaches to that tactic. And, you know, as the cooperative, the group that's sort of charged with keeping the information clean and keeping everybody playing safe, we decided this was a good way for us to try and separate the wheat from the chaff. You can list a coming soon. We'll give you up to 21 days to tell your counterparts that, listen, this property is going to be available. It's just not ready for showing yet. And you're right, you can have a sign. The sign must say coming soon on it. You can also have flyers in the flyer boxes. Those flyers must say that the property is coming soon. Like you can't misrepresent and make it look like it's available already. But we will not be sharing that information with Realtor.com. We won't be sharing it with Zillow. We won't be sharing it with the IDX program, which is basically every Realtor's website out there. And the idea is that information is for practitioners only. If the property isn't ready to be shown yet, then the property isn't ready for the majority of the marketing attempts. There are still, like I said, signs and flyers that are available. I mean, I think it's a great addition. I think you make some good points, Kurt, as far as people 
will misuse it because that's yeah. that's going to happen. But I personally was going to use it for my own house. Fortunately, as Steve knows, I sold it without having to do that. But <laughs> I've got two little monsters. We'll call them kids. And, uh, <laughs> two dogs. And, you know, we were coming out of the holidays and it's tough to schedule showing times with all of that we'll call it the circus going on at my house every day. And so, uh, you know, coming soon was a great way to, I guess, alert our counterparts that yes, my house will be for sale without actually having to take showings and do all that. So I think it it serves a great purpose. Hopefully at the end of the day, more people will use it the way I was going to use it versus what you mentioned. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's sort of the line. I don't know if you guys have covered it. I listened to your podcast. I don't know if you covered it, but we took a lot of flack when we changed the authorization to exclude form. And we basically went through and listed out all of the reasons why listing a property in the multiple (laughs) listing service is actually beneficial to the consumer. Absolutely sure you're not a complete moron if you sign this. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that one of the you, questions on there? <laughs> I think that's word for word what it says. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we took a lot of flack over that because and, and it's one of those things we weren't trying to do anything nefarious. It's certainly not our job to get in between a realtor and the seller, but it is our job to try and make certain that the cooperative is kept intact. And there are examples all over the country where you know, listings that are being held from the multiple listing service are really starting to have a detrimental effect on the marketplace. And we'd we'd like like crazy to avoid that here. Yeah. Yeah. And let me speak to that a little bit, because I had mixed feelings about this when it first started. It's a big change. I mean, um, in my business, we do photos on Monday. We throw those up on, you know, Craigslist, Zillow, saying open house Saturday. We start pre-marketing it Wednesday. We go live Friday. The reason I don't go live Wednesday is simple. I, I haven't printed my, my print marketing. You know, videos are being worked on. There's still components happening. We're still needing to get the sign and, and other activities out there. So that's going to change for me. Obviously, everything's going to have to stop and wait until we're live. And then we're going to have to promote the open house at that time, which in my model that I just laid out for you could be problematic because if you're going live Friday and the market has not heard about the open house till Friday and it's on Saturday, then you got to wonder if that's enough time for them people to get their eyeballs on it. Maybe you change that open house to Sunday instead of Saturday. Maybe you go live Thursday. We'll live with it and we'll figure it out. So for me, it was going to make some changes. It's going to have to, you know, disturb our process, our system currently. But I have to say, I've come around to this idea. There are some bad actors in our market, and I won't name names, but there's some large teams. One I have seen three separate times with these coming soons where they put them out there, and they, when currently they're using Zillow, yeah. and they put it out there on Zillow for weeks trying to bait buyers. And right. I've had buyers who are pretty loyal to us, fortunately. And here's what I'll tell you. I know the ones where the buyers were loyal to me and they came back and go, hey, this guy's trying to take me from you. I really want that house though. Can you help me? I know those situations. What I don't know are the situations where a buyer just stops answering our phone calls and doesn't get back to us and they actually were successful in taking our buyers. They put those coming soons out there on Zillow and they they try to bait buyers because now they're the only source of information for that property. So the buyers start calling them and now they've got them on the phone. They're telling them why they can get in, them into it, why somebody else can't. 
I had one situation with one of these teams where they even told him, you know, we're going to get multiple offers on this. If you want it, you got to come through us. Recently, my most recent experience, and this is what's even more crazy, several of those situations were legitimate listings where they were legitimate listings that were coming on the market. They just kind of milked it a little bit, maybe took a week or two to come on the market. I have a recent situation where the same team has put a house out there. A realtor called them about it. They blew off the realtor. So the realtor then had somebody else call pretending to be the client. And it kind of came across as if it's not a real listing. Like maybe it's his brother's house. Maybe it's you know a past uh, client's uh, house. Right. He just simply took a house in Lake Oswego, desirable house, put it on as a coming soon, pretty low price, and created bait. So now their phone's ringing and they're spinning people off this like, oh, well, it's not going to be on the market for a while. But I mean, this is exactly how the conversation went. It's not going to be on the market for a while, but here's kind of what we do have going on. And and obviously it it creates a lot of angst with agents. It creates problems with some buyers, but you got to think maybe from time to time it does work with other buyers, right? Where they're like, oh, okay, well, I'll wait for that one. But in the meantime, what else you got? So that said, I'm excited for this change. It will smack dab squash that immediately. And part of it too is with your authorization to exclude before, it was really hard to police that. I mean, basically (laughs) we're sending a form to you guys, an inbox, and I'm not going to pretend that there was ever a scenario where you guys were on top of that and and, (laughs) and complaints were coming in and you could keep up with it. Uh -uh. With this new coming soon change, it's going to be really easy to police. When I see that coming soon on Zillow, we're going to go to you guys right? and you're immediately going to go, hey, you can't do that. And right. what what is going to be the disciplinary measures, Kurt? So it'll be, RMLS has always taken a sort of an educational approach to its fining. But in this case, it will be a fine of up to a $1,000 if a realtor lets us know, you know, this property is being, and we'll do a little bit of policing on Zillow on Craigslist, you'll know we'll do what we can, but we don't have an entire department devoted to it. So it'll be mainly our subscribers letting us know, look, I found this property. We'll reach out to them. We'll do a little bit of investigation. And then it will go to a jury of your peers. It will go to a hearings committee and the committee will decide what sort of sanction we will prescribe. It does say in the rule, it will be up to $1,000. So it can be pretty, can be pretty hurtful. Awesome. When does it roll out, Kurt? So this is scheduled to roll out with our forms change, which means we're shooting for beginning of May, end of April, if we're optimistic. Okay, cool. That'll be well, right on time to- for uh, one of our new projects, so it'll work out perfect. So Good, good. Let's go on to another big change you've got coming, showing time. This is one I'm really excited about. In fact, that thread on Masters in Real Estate where they were talking about, you know, what are some ideas for things RMLS could do that would that would make your jobs better? I kind of chimed in and I said, I'd love for there to be an automated system that just lets you pick a time slot, notifies everybody. Obviously, if it's not available, the, the other agent blocks it out. It sounds like that's kind of what we're going to be getting with showing time. Tell us more about this change, how it'll work, and when we can expect it. Okay. So I will say RMLS has been looking to add functionality like this since, well, shoot, since I was the liaison for the technology committee. So the year 2000, we were looking at this. And it was a couple of years ago, we finally signed on with a company called Showing Suite. And Showing Suite was one of the top three of the showing software providers, but they were the ones that were known for being able to work with MLSs that build their own system. Like they were able to weave it into the system. 
Sadly, immediately after signing a contract with Sewing Sweet, they were purchased by Showing Time, and that put the whole project on the skids for a little while. So once again, we're further, uh, <laughs> this is getting delayed further out than I wanted. We wanted this a long time ago. So they used your contract to sell the company for more money, and then they screwed you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, it could be. It could be. So really, you described it perfectly. It will be a button inside of RMLS web. We haven't figured out all the details yet, but it will be our users demand that everything be inside of RMLS web. So we will have a button probably on the listing somewhere that allows you to click it and schedule what time you would like the showing. And that, it gets really sort of efficient from that point forward because then once you've scheduled the showing, the listing agent has the ability to accept or deny or reschedule that, that showing. But once it's scheduled, then you have the ability to give feedback on that showing. You know when the showing is over. There's a lot of lift that comes to it. Now the product is free. That was part of the thing we negotiated with showing time. But there is a paid version as well that gives you some pretty cool perks that I'm not really all that familiar with. But it does allow things like if you have a the paid version, if you have a homeowner who is really a control freak, like they really and I think I might be in this case if I ever sell my house, <laughs> I, I you know, I'm going to want showings to be between 215 and 415 on Tuesday, but none on Wednesday. In those situations, you can give control over to the homeowner themselves and they can set the windows of when those showing times are convenient for them, as opposed to you acting as some sort of middleman in between them. And there's probably a handful of other services that are available with the paid one. But we will be offering to all our MLS subscribers the free version, which simply allows you to go in, schedule a showing, and be on your way. And the listing agent can block out times. Like if the homeowner goes, hey, we're, we're not able. Yeah, we've got some people coming over Saturday. They can go in there and block it out long Absolutely. before. It, it's, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm super excited about this. Kurt. It's, it's always been a clunky process. It's always been a clunky process of hey, you know, we want to see this house. Is it, a, I reach out to the listing agent. Is it available? Can I schedule this time? They say, no, that doesn't work, but th this works. And where it gets even messier is when you're creating a caravan, you know, multiple showings <laughs> in a row. Yeah. And it's suddenly the one you wanted isn't available. So now you're going back and you're, you're looping in and you're changing another one and your clients are going, well, that time doesn't work. And it's just, it was a lot of back and forth. So this is yeah. really going to streamline and, and create a lot of efficiencies for our agents. Do you have an ETA on the rollout for that? Same time. The problem is all of these are hitting at the same time because we have our annual forms change rolling out. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to roll out a product and then do a forms change because then you've got to work with the vendor to understand the new fields and the new database structure. So this will all be hitting around the same time, beginning of May, end of April, if we're lucky. And let me just guess, you're taking a three-week vacation there and you're turning your phone off, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, that would be great. But no, no, we'll be answering all of our phones. You know, rolling a bunch of big changes out at the same time has has good and bad <laughs> components it to it. <laughs> you know, and it's one of those things we could delay it further, but I'm getting, all of us are getting tired of the delays. Like it, we're in a day and age, as you know, where we need to get faster. Everything has to happen faster. Yeah. And that comes with some pain. And some of the pain is a lot of stuff gets rolled out at the same time. Yeah. What are some other changes you guys are working on? Boy, we've got a lot. We've got an awful lot that we've got on the docket. But I think the biggest one, I think the thing that people will be the most excited about is RMLS has started 
we've got a cooperative effort with the utahrealestate.com. So they are the statewide MLS in Utah. They are also one of the MLSs that builds their own system. So it makes a lot of sense that we combine work with these guys. And through a cooperative effort, it looks like we will have an RMLS app for your phones uh, oh in the summer of this year. Maybe fall if things start to get delayed. But you know, we've been relying on third parties to provide an app for years. And to be perfectly honest, none of them have done what I want. Like the RPR app works fine, although everybody tells me that it's slow. There's HomeSpotter, but they charge for that. There was supposed to be two other apps that we had by now, and they just never hit the market. And the whole app thing is something that in my mind, again, I'm not a practitioner, but it seems to me you need that. Like that you have to have that when you're out on the road. Are you talking about for realtors or for consumers? I'm talking about for realtors. I don't care about consumers. Consumers (laughs) are your job. I want to make you happy. We got that on the record. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I'm looking at is an app that the, the obvious things like you want to look up information on a property. You don't have time to type in your username and your password, right? So you got to be able to log in with your fingerprint or with FaceTime recognition or something like that. And then you get in rapidly, you look up the information you want, but if it's an MLS app, that means you also should have access to your prospects that you have on the system. It should, you should have access to your save searches. You know, as we move down the road, things like if you start a search on your phone, you should be able to finish it on the desktop. You know, there's a lot of things that I think a multiple listing service like ours can put into an app that no one else is really going to be able to offer. And I'm really looking forward to it. Now, to be clear, the app that's released in the summer is going to be proof of competency, (laughs) not necessarily the ultimate app that you've ever seen. So we will, this is going to be iterations, just like RMLS web. It's going to take us a long time to get to the point where people consider it best of class, but that's what we've got to do. We've got to figure out right now, we got to figure out what does it mean? How does a realtor work when they're using both an app and a website? Interesting. I think that's great. I can definitely sympathize with that. We have a technology arm to my company here where we built an app that's nationwide and it's gone through multiple iterations that, you know, get better and better. And and we're doing a big re-roll out uh, here in about a month in the way that we, you know, charge our customers. So our phones will be ringing just like yours probably yeah, will be yep. end of April. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, but it's cool to hear you guys are doing that because I think that that's a huge benefit. I'm not even a realtor and I think that's a huge benefit to their businesses. Yeah. 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 So anything exciting going on with lockboxes, Kurt, anything we should know of there? I know there was a rollout of Bluetooth. It didn't negate the lockboxes we have, but you're able to now get a, if you get a new one now, it's the new technology. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, If you buy a new lockbox right now, we're in what I call a mixed market. If you buy a new lockbox right now, you don't have any choice but to buy the Bluetooth lockbox. That's all you can get. And we are in the process of negotiating with CentraLock right now to get out of a mixed market and just do a full rollout of just Bluetooth lockboxes, which means that you would bring in your old non-Bluetooth lockboxes and we would exchange them for Bluetooth lockboxes. Now, in the past, we've always done a one-for-one exchange. I don't know if we're going to end up doing a one-for-one exchange, but it seems like we need to clean up the marketplace so that when you, Steve, approach a listing, you know it's going to be a Bluetooth lockbox instead of this sort of guest time of which one is this and how does this one work? What is the difference, Kurt? So there are a number of benefits to the Bluetooth lockbox, not the least of which is that it works significantly better with the app. 
which by the way, if anyone is not using the app, they should use the app right now. The app is the wave of the future. It's yeah. the way that that product is going. And instead of using a code to get in, like you press a button and the app automatically recognizes the lockbox so you don't have to enter in the serial number, you know, like you do now. Yeah, yeah. So it, it has a direct connection. The Bluetooth connection also allows you to change some of the settings that currently you have to have your card with you in order to change. With the Bluetooth app, you don't have to do that. The whole thing just gets significantly more reliable. Also, our the delay in showing notifications goes down with the Bluetooth, mm -hmm. mainly because a lot more people are going to be using the app. Mm -hmm. And does it allow, if you have a rural property without phone service or, or satellite service, does it change there as well? Yeah, absolutely. So you no yeah. longer need to have a cellular connection as yeah. long as you can get a Bluetooth connection to that lockbox. Got it. That one right there, I can't believe I didn't mention it, but that one right there is probably one of the biggest benefits to it. Because if you're up on Mount Hood or or wherever, if you don't have a cellular connection, you can be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds great. That sounds great. I, I had kind of wondered about that because I do use my phone. I do use the app. That was a game changer. I mean, I remember... I haven't used my card in a couple of years and, and that right. was just such a mess and you're, you're, it's in your rad and it didn't refresh, didn't right. recharge. It really was a game changer to use the app and, and use the code, but to now not even have to put that code in and not be worried about cell services is, is awesome. So, so let's move on here a little bit, Kurt. I'm going to skip one question and, and let's just talk about MLSs in general. Talk about the future of MLSs. I think you acknowledged a consolidation. Yeah. Do you think there'll always be MLSs? I know that's a tricky question. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, or, or do I want it for that matter? But do you think with some of these large sites, you know, like the Zillow types, as they've grabbed more and more market share and consumer base and data, do you think the future of MLSs is guaranteed that there'll always need to be a separate entity or site that works that the agents go to? Or, or is, is there a scenario where in the future, those sites have a back end that realtors are going into and loading listings and seeing information, you know, that only realtors should see? What's your take on this? I know you're a guy that you're a visionary and you like to flash forward into the future and see where things are going. Well, first I'll say I have always been a big fan of the multiple listing service. Like I think that I didn't invent this quote, but I believe it in my heart that the multiple listing service is the greatest gift ever given to the American consumer. Like I can't think of another situation where the consumer benefited more when competitors got together to make things better for the consumer. And I think that's great. I don't see a world without a multiple listing service because of that. The multiple listing service will always need to be there for two different reasons. Forget about a data. Anyone can make a database. Anyone can make a nationwide database. That's a piece of cake. The difficulty in a nationwide multiple listing service comes with rules primarily. So you look around the country we don't have the same rules. Even in Oregon, we don't have the same rules with the multiple listing services in this state. Like we can't all agree on the same rules. And that same local control that we were talking about, why the small MLSs on the coast don't join RMLS, will be that same reason that we don't end up with one nationwide multiple listing service. Both of those combined, I think that's pie in the sky. However, Something in between today and one nationwide multiple listing service is probably going to be feasible. There have been a number of different models pitched out there. Like one popular one is if you take a look at the United States from space, you can see very obvious clusters of light. 
like where the metropolitan areas are defined by lighting. And that's one approach where you end up with about nine or 10 different multiple listing services in the country. I don't see that. That's too few. I don't see that happening because you don't get areas like Milwaukee and Pittsburgh all joining together into one multiple listing service. It just doesn't work. On the other hand, I have a, a sort of a, <laughs> a, a armchair quarterback method that I like to use. If your city has a major sports team, you get an MLS. So, and I think that's where we're headed. I think the, the largest metropolitan areas that can support, you know, like Seattle had the Supersonics, but they've got the Seahawks. They get an MLS. Portland has the Trailblazers. They get an MLS. But Medford? Is that supported? And you look at areas like Florida, 21 MLSs is way too many when they only have maybe four sports teams. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where we're headed, where we probably are going to end up with a maximum of 20 MLSs in the country and a minimum of somewhere around 15, somewhere around there, if I were to guess. And I, to me, that just feels right. It's more an emotional response than anything else. That feels like where the number of MLSs will settle out. And again, that's based on rules. It's based on local control. It's based on a number of different facets that I think really play into it. You've got MLSs like in Utah, they have to have a field where they want to search the house by the ski slope that it's on, but they don't have that here. But, you know, and if we were to add like a max field, you know, how close is it to max? Well, they don't care about that in Washington. (laughs) You know what I mean? So there will always be sort of that local need for discretion in those areas. Interesting. Interesting. Differentiation. Yeah. You did a great presentation. There was an event offsite, PPG Leadership, about a year ago. Maybe it was last summer. You came in, you did an awesome presentation, you had some slides, and, and you kind of touched on you know the future of real estate and some, some of the trends, and a lot of it was, I mean, almost like predict, not predictions, but hey, what could this happen? You know, here's what we've seen in the past, here's where we see you know the puck going, if you will. And you talked a little bit about other technology changes, like how Uber has changed you know the, the cab industry and sure. similar things within our industry. Talk a little bit about that, Kurt. I mean, what, what's some of your favorite things you've mentioned in that presentation? So that presentation was one that I did for the board of directors that was on the importance of convenience in real estate. And I had last year, I did a number of those presentations where I talked about the fact that convenience has become more important in today's world than we've ever seen it before. Like the human animal was originally motivated by survival. Once survival went out of the way, the human animal was motivated by profit. And I think profit has sort of shimmied out of the way and convenience is the new king. Everything is about convenience. And there are a number of different ways that that hits the real estate industry. Like you see products and services like, I don't want to mention them by name, but there's a new lockbox that's coming out that allows the consumer themselves to enter the property. Why? Because the consumer demands the convenience. They don't want to have to contact a listing agent. They don't want to have to contact the homeowner. And to be perfectly honest, the homeowner themselves is fine with it. So if you happen to be jogging down the street and you want into my largest investment that I've ever owned, I have at it. (laughs) And, you know, there are a number of different examples of this, not the least of which I think the most terrifying to me is brokerages like Open Door or Knock that plan on being nationwide brokerages where the idea is if you want to sell your house, they'll buy it from you. 
uh, they'll get you your down payment for your next house in three days or in six days or whatever. You know, there's a number of different quotes out there from different brokerages. And I think that's a real game changer because in a world where convenience is more important than anything else, is it possible that the buyers might be willing to pay a, or the seller might be willing to pay a little more, you know, a few extra points for the convenience of being able to get their down payment quicker. Well, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, is it going to happen overnight? Absolutely not. But when you play that forward, that's when I start to get worried because what if a brokerage like that gets a foothold in a market? Like what happens when the majority of sellers are selling their property through a brokerage like that? And what role does the realtor play in that point? Like, are they really negotiating with themselves if someone sells them a house and buys a house through the same service? Is there really a realtor negotiating things at that point? Certainly at first, absolutely. But over time, I don't know. And if there's not a realtor that's doing negotiation, what happens to the multiple listing service at that point? Like, what role does the MLS play when the majority of transactions are being bought and sold through the same brokerage? You know, those are the type of things that worry me. But I'm not traditionally I'm not much of a fear monger. I'd rather look at the positive aspects of it. And there are a number of different ways that brokerages can speak directly to consumer convenience. I think the MLS has to do a better job of being more convenient to the realtor or the subscriber or the participant. And I think there's a number of things we can really take advantage of there. So, you know, I try and think of the, the silver lining as much as the dark cloud. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you brought up those two companies because, you know, to, to some extent, that's the world that my company operates in. We're the convenience model in terms of people selling their property. And so we generally don't engage any type of, of realtor transaction, at least on the front end, on the back end of our retail ready products. That's what we do. But I, I will say, in my opinion, those models they birthed out of the cycle, which gets into the next and last question that Steve has for you, but they kind of birthed out of this real estate cycle that we're in where things are easy to, everything's easy to sell right now, right? Absolutely. But there's only a certain segment of the market that that really serves at the end of the day in a normal market. And so, you know, we buy from those people and it's probably 3% maybe of the market, maybe a touch more, but the vast majority of people will never I just don't think they'll get there, at least in our lifetime, in terms of seeing, you know, enough value in going that way to be able to do it. I, I just yeah. don't believe that's the case. And so and that's the business that we operate in. And so we, yeah. you know, moving forward, there's a very small percentage of the market that that does serve. But again, I think those companies were birthed out of this this market timing. And I think a lot of them will, you know, uh, contract as the market timing changes, too. So. Oh, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more on the timing. I don't mean that any threat is imminent. I think we're talking about maybe our grandkids at the earliest at this point. Right. But it's one of those things. If the trend continues, it becomes more palpable. And, you know, you're right. It's not something I'm going to see. So I take solace in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the presentation, Kurt, because you, you gave some for very specific examples. I know Uber was one of them. I think there was others where you you basically said, I mean, this has taken off because of convenience. I mean, you, you push a button, suddenly it's there. You don't have to exchange cash or cards even. I just took a cab home from a Blazer game the other day and, and I was annoyed that I had to pull out a card and do this swiping and all this this stuff. And so you kind of likened that to our business. And, and what it made me do is I, I kind of sat back and thought, okay, where can I make convenience for my clients? Right. You know, and the other thing I would add to that is clients are, we're also in a day and age where they like immediacy with responses. Yeah. And that's one thing I really strive for on my team. Uh, fortunately, I have a team 
and were able to man my phone and my emails, you know, 13 hours a day, seven days a week and deliver really quick response time through the team. And I think that and we get rave reviews. I mean, a lot of my Zillow reviews acknowledge that they say, you know, we always got quick answers or we emailed and we said, we want to see this house. And boom, there was a reply looping in a buyer's agent. We're, we're on it. We're setting it up. So I do agree. Convenience and immediacy kind of go a little bit hand in hand. I mean, oh, absolutely. Uh, when, when yeah. you say you're making it convenient, you're being quick about it as well. So it's yeah. definitely a good reminder for us agents to, you know, you're looking at it on the big picture, like agents in general, but here now today, where can I create speed with my clients, immediacy and convenience? Where can I make it easier for them in my business? And and I think those who do that well will, will be very successful. And I know you guys are looking at doing that for us. Absolutely. Showing time is an amazing example of that. Yep. The ability for us to save, I mean, we're going to save that your users in general are going to save thousands of hours by not having that back and forth and change ups. And so we thank you for that. Last quick question for you, sure. Kurt, and we'll let you go. Market cycle. You did a really cool analysis where you said our user base, we looked at it in 06, 07, 08, 09, all the way then through you know where the market started to upturn. And we saw a correlation between how many people were subscribers to RMLS and when markets cycle. Talk about that for a few minutes. So I will admit to... We get asked all the time, and when I say we, mainly me, gets asked all the time, how many realtors are we going to have next year? Because a multiple listing service, yes, we do the lion's share of reporting what the market is doing as far as what the listings are doing, you know, and that sort of thing. But the real market for a multiple listing service isn't the listings themselves, because we don't make any more money if there are more listings. We only make more money if there's more subscribers. And so the people that are asking me what the market's going to do are traditionally asking what the number of subscribers are going to do, which is kind of interesting because, and I might be wrong, but way back in 2010, when people started asking me that question, my response was, I couldn't possibly know how many realtors there are going to be next year. (laughs) That's a level of knowledge I couldn't know. And so what I did was to prove that I couldn't know it, I started tracking everything I could get my hands on. And traditionally what happens in any multiple listing service around the country, you normally find a correlation between the unemployment rate and the number of subscribers. When unemployment goes up, the number of RMLS subscribers goes up because a a percentage of people got laid off or they quit their jobs and they thought, you know what, I'm going to try my hand at real estate. But in the last 15 years, I mean, historically that is true, but in the last 15 years, that has not been the case here in Oregon because unemployment has been going down, 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 while at exactly the same time, population has been going up, 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 up. So it doesn't really matter what I'm tracking. All of the normal rules for a multiple listing service have, have sort of gone by the wayside. Unemployment goes up and down, and it seems to be that the number of realtors is inversely correlated to that. And that (laughs) seems to fly in the face of generations of wisdom. But what I did find is there seems to be a two-year gap. There's a two-year gap in the correlation between the number of transactions and the number of realtors. So if you look at the number of transactions, we hit a high in the number of transactions way back in 2005. And this is stripped of all value. This is just simply the number of transactions. 
But we didn't hit a high in the number of realtors, the number of subscribers to our MLS until 2007. That's exactly a two-year gap. The same is true for the bottom of the market. We hit a low in basically 2007, 2008, and we didn't start to rebound until 2011, right? So that's, well, actually it was 2009. So there's still a two-year gap between 2009 and 2011. Meaning 2009 was the least number of transactions? Yes, yeah, that hit a- And 2011 was the least number of RMLS users. That's right, that's exactly right. So what you're saying is when we see the least or the highest number of transactions, typically speaking, it tends to two years later, there's either the lowest or the highest number of agents. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that seems to be the only reliable indicator that I have if I take the number of transactions and sort of plus two years, <laughs> right? Now, the interesting thing is that we, I don't think anyone talks about this nearly enough. We were flat from 2014 into 15. So that means that 2016, we were flat again. 2017, we were flat again. So if that holds true, we should, we kind of leveled off a little bit. We still went up in the number of realtors in 2017, but the transactions were flat again, which means that in 2018, we might see a dramatic leveling off in the number of subscribers, which would be good. The thing about running a multiple listing service is you get to look at sort of sort of the the market in a different way. Like I said, to us, the market is the realtors themselves. And right now we have a a large number of new realtors into the market every single month. Like there's just new people over and over and over again. And there's a ton of people leaving as well. There's a lot of churn in the marketplace right now. And the net results every year is there's a few more realtors and there's a few more and there's a few more. But they're all relatively new, which I think is interesting. I don't know how that affects transactions. I don't know, you know, I wouldn't dare to presume how that works out in the field. All I can do is report what I'm seeing, which is if I were to put on my crystal ball hat, I would say we're probably leveling off in the number of realtors this year. We will see that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So transaction count, again, this isn't dollar volume because obviously dollar volume is climbing as, as, as values go up, but yeah. transaction count has been flat. 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017? I would say it, would, it, it kind of went up 2014. I would say 15, 16, 17, it's been relatively flat, flatter huh. than it's ever been before. But it's also worth noting, we never really hit the high number of transactions that we did back in 2005. We're pretty close, but we still haven't hit that high. But we are getting really close to hitting the high number of subscribers. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. I think we covered a lot of great ground. I've got to take a hard exit and go do some (laughs) grown-up babysitting on one of our job sites. But uh, with that said, great show. And we appreciate you coming on, Kurt. I think we covered a lot of ground. And I think everybody that's listening has got a ton of value out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. I was thrilled to be a part of it. Let me know if you ever need me again. Oh, absolutely, Kurt. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. All right, guys, this wraps up episode 80. We will see you all on the next show. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.